Sponsor CBT Nuggets is IT training for IT professionals and anyone looking to build IT skills. If you want to make fully operational your networking, cloud, security, automation, or DevOps battle station, visit cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And you know, on Day 2 Cloud, one of the things that we try to focus on is cutting through the marketing fluff and getting down to the core of what something is. Because marketing likes to abuse terms, and we like terms to, I don't know, mean something. (laughs) So today's conversation (laughs) is going to be me and Ethan trying to pick apart what zero trust networking is. You've probably heard the term zero trust. It's been splashy on all kinds of websites and marketing fluff, but it it needs to mean something. So we're going to try to figure out what that thing is. And then after that, stay tuned for a sponsored Tech Bytes conversation with Glueware about automating your cloud networking. So Ethan... (laughs) <laughs> Zero trust. I'm going to I'm going to start with the big question. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the biggest question of all, Ned. What is zero trust? So, so zero trust ZT, ZTNA, zero trust network access. Is, well, okay. It, it's, it's been a, a term that's come up a lot recently. And to me, it's a, it's an evolution of micro segmentation. Do you remember what micro segmentation is? Did you run into that? Yeah, I definitely ran into that when I was still working with VMware a bit because that was a big thing with NSX was the ability to segment your network down to smaller micro segments, if you will. And that was done through like a distributed uh, firewall mechanism. And then you have the same functionality in the cloud. You know, if you're in a VPC, you have security groups. If you're in uh, VNet, you've got NSGs. So there's just these ways of cordoning off portions of the network and deciding who can talk to who on a more granular basis than just a big hunk and firewall that everything has to fly through. And that whole concept came from the idea that we no longer have an an edge where we're going to have guardian firewalls. And if you make it through the firewall rule set, we trust you now and it's okay. And everybody can just run around inside the data center and do whatever they want. No, no, no. That's no good anymore. Microsegmentation. So these hosts in the data center, this east-west traffic as hosts are chatting with one another, we're going to have, as you gave the NSX example, um, this on a host-by-host basis, or maybe a hypervisor switch-by-hypervisor switch basis, some sort of filter that's going to limit who can talk to whom within the data center about what. Zero Trust Network Access, I think, is even more than that. Um, it's, it's really an evolution of this this idea of micro-segmentation. So if we, if we say we don't trust hosts, right? Like micro-segmentation, we don't, we, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're in the data center or in the rack right next to me. I don't trust you. If we go take that and then we go even further, I don't trust the various network level conversations that are on hosts. So now I'm, I'm, I'm at a host level. Now I've gone even more granular down to the network level. We're still kind of micro-segmentation here. Well, micro-segmentation is letting different conversations happen on different ports. Like, oh, we're going to talk SQL, oh, we're going to talk web, whatever we're going to talk about. What if we ratcheted that down and say, I don't even trust that if you're on a trusted port, that you're saying things that I'm going to completely trust all the time. So I don't even, hmm. I don't, when, I'm, when we're on a port that we agree is something that we should be talking on, I don't agree. I don't necessarily trust that everything you're saying to me on that port is uh, is trustworthy. So you're getting it. I mean, as 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 granular as you can imagine at this point. Right. Right. So it would be the equivalent of having a web application firewall between 
each application or host in my network that does that maybe layer seven inspection of things, not only am I going to check that it's okay for you to talk to me on port 443, but I'm also going to look at what you're actually, the, the commands you're sending, the requests in HTTP you're sending. Are you allowed to send a request on this path? Are you allowed to ask for that information? I, I got to imagine that's that's got to be part of it at least. That yeah, that that is part of it. As I'm, I've been reviewing different zero trust solutions. Now, the the joke here, Ned, is that not every vendor that's got some solution they've branded as zero trust or ZTNA does the same thing or works in the same way or has the same scope. Some are focused in data center. Um, some of these ZTNA solutions, of course, include anything that's on the network that that could include remote workers at home you know that could include your workloads that are up in the cloud that includes what you still got on prem all of these things needing to to talk to one another a zero trust posture means none of those things that are included in your sphere of the network all of these places that are under your control are trusted at all so we're trying to get to a point where those those communications can be trusted. And, and so how do we do that seems to be what the solution's all right. about. Okay, that's my core question. Like if we start with zero trust, then there has to be a way to establish trust or no communication happens at all. So I assume there's a couple different approaches for establishing that trust to begin with. Oh, a couple. I wish there were only a couple. Yeah, but <laughs> but, but there, there's several. There's several different approaches that are going on here. And... I think if we break it down into a series of problems that need to be solved for these solutions, it gets easier for us to then understand why the different approaches are the way they are and why we've got these little sub-segments and chunks of technology that fit in the under the umbrella of zero-trust network access. So, so the first problem that I think we're trying to solve, Ned, is, is the one you just alluded to, the identity management problem. Who are you? And how do I know you are who you say you are? <laughs> Right. That's the that that's one one big problem there. The next one would be policy management. All right, now that I know uh, and believe that you are who you say you are, well, what policy is going to govern your access? I've identified you. What what are the boundaries? Uh, what are the rules for you as you access the network? And this gets really granular and uh, and pretty hard to manage. Um, wh- who is going to create this? Policy, because if you let's back out a second, Ned. I mean, if you've never done any firewall management and had to build rule sets, that can get fussy, right? You've got a firewall that's kind of this choke point in the network, and you put these rules on it. So and so host can talk to so and so host on this port. You know those five tuple rules, as we say. Fussy, tedious in a big environment can get to very quickly thousands of rules or even tens of thousands of more, where it becomes a you know a, a monster for a human to manage. Well, that's where you've got just a firewall that's kind of in the middle of the network somewhere governing flows. What Now we've gone from the that model to an any-to-any model where we need to have almost an infinite number of rules. And so the policy management problem is a huge one. How do you actually create the policy that governs this zero-trust network access? Does a person, a human, create it? Uh, no, that's, I mean, it's, it's kind of impractical, <laughs> right? I mean, how, how could a human actually come up with this? So, so another approach then would be, uh, a set of rules that are observationally created. Some piece of software is looking at what's going on on the wire or looking what's going to and from, uh, the host and then using maybe machine learning and then applying an artificial intelligence algorithm to that machine learned data set to determine, this seems like good behavior. 
here is a policy that I think will work based on what I've been observing. And then uh, maybe a human reviews it at that point and, and blesses it. And then you, you, you enforce that policy at that point. So that, again, that's the policy management problem. How do we create the policy and then, uh, and then put it into production? Tricky when you've got this granular of a rule set. So the next problem then, so we've got identity management. Who are you? Policy management, what can you do? And now we've got enforcement. How do I actually enforce? I got the policy I built. Where do I stick the policy so that if someone violates the policy, I can tell them to shut up, basically go away. You're, <laughs> you're bad. How do you do that? And usually the way you're going to do this is by dropping packets somewhere uh, on the network. But wh where do you do this? How do you do it? You could do it at the kernel level, say, you know, the Linux kernel, if you're working with Linux hosts. You could run a local firewall, something on your host, like you got the Windows firewall, right? Or you've got IP tables on a, on a Linux box, let's say. Uh, you gave the NSX example earlier. So we could have a firewall that runs, I believe the way the NSX model is the hypervisor switch. You've got the, the, the vSwitch sitting there. And you can drop uh, packets there as uh, packets flow in from the virtual host and hit the virtual switch. You could have a middle box of some kind, which is a little old school, right? Like, oh, like a firewall or a proxy server or something like that that's governing flows and then um, you know can throw things away. So that's another you know, problem here. And we're, we're, we're going to get to specific you know, models, Ned, but I've got to set it up this way because this is these are the things that percolated as I talked to these different companies and their ZTNA mm -hmm. approaches. All right, so one more major problem that I, I see in this whole ZTNA thing, Ned, the policy distribution problem. So I've got uh, a policy. I know where I want to enforce the policy. Now, how do I get the policy from some central controller or something out to these endpoints where they're going to, where the enforcement action is actually going to happen? Well, sure. like a local management plane? Is that what I'm going to do? Um how would that work for if my the place I need to do enforcement is some VPN host out on the internet somewhere? Um, you know, that reminds me a lot of when I used to deploy Config Manager for wind, well, mostly Windows environments, but Config Manager, SCCM, mm -hmm. used to be SMS. There was always the problem of endpoints that were going to be on connected to the internet but not connected to your internal networks. How did they get the updated policies from yes. these the SCCM server, and there was a way to do it. You had to make an internet accessible point, and that required a lot of plumbing and certificates, and it was it was not fun. Yep, but you yeah. but you could do it. You could the better do that. solution was just get them on the VPN every once in a while to get a new uh, cycle yeah. of the SCCM server, and and that was usually how you handled it. Or you take an out-of-date client and you dump them into some VLAN where the only thing they have access to is an update server. Or mm -hmm. I believe I ran into this a, a month or so ago. Cisco's got some kind of a if, – if you can stand up a VPN tunnel but you're not authorized, it gives you like a back channel. So like a like I couldn't figure out exactly how it worked. It was just an access list or if it was a secondary tunnel or what. But it was like this management back door. So that that remote client via that VPN connection could get get the updates that it needed. It was a subtly different sort of a thing. Hmm. This, this management idea, but but yeah, this is a this is a challenge. How do you do this um, distribution? Where's the box? Where's the controller? Is it sitting on your network? Or very commonly now, it's up in the cloud. The controller. Right that is distributing policy out to all of your endpoints are hosted up in the cloud. Is that 
Is that okay? Are you okay with that? What's your what's your data governance policy? Well, there's not really any data. It's just a control plane, not a data plane. So is it fine that it's up in the cloud? What about multi-tenancy? What if you've got a bunch of different um, tenants that you are building policy for? Does the management plane support multi-tenancy? And what does that look like? So, mm-hmm. all right, Ned. So we just talked about a bunch of problems that I see in the ZTNA space. So now, yeah. now I think we can talk about some uh, some companies and their zero touch approaches, at least at okay. a high level. Okay. Gonna, this is kind of like it's kind of like analysis, right? You know, we're not like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we're going to deep dive into all the details of every company. Because, but, but let's go at a high level and just see how some of these companies uh, solve this. Sure. Well, one company, Ned, uh, Tempered Networks. Have you heard of Tempered? No. Yeah, they're a bit of a niche company. They're uh, you know, full disclosure. They've been a Packet Pusher sponsor. Uh, we've done some work with them to talk about their solution. They build a fabric of tunnels based on a protocol called HIP, Host Identity Protocol. Have you heard of HIP, Ned? <laughs> no, but I've been told that I'm HIP, cool, and with it. Yeah. Does that count? <laughs> Come on, man. That was, was that a dad <laughs> joke out of you? I think it was. Man. It's all I got, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Host Identity Protocol has been around for a while and uh, HIP accomplishes that goal of identity uh, for us. I know you are who you say you are. Uh, a tunnel gets stood up based on HIP. I don't know all the HIP protocol details at this point, but it's sort of like uh, IPsec, where when you stand up an IPsec tunnel between two endpoints, there's a certificate or a pre-shared key, some way that the two ends uh, authenticate to one another to prove they are who they say they are. Then they establish an encrypted channel, uh, security associations that they are going to use to chat to one another uh, in an encrypted way. It's it's a similar kind of a model to that, but it happens on a host-to-host basis. So every host that is participating in the HIP fabric can talk to any other host in the HIP fabric. And if you're looking at what's going by on the wire, it's it's a HIP packet or um, you know whatever encryption methodology that they're using. It might look like, uh, like an IPsec ESP packet, something like that. Mm. The trick then with HIP and what Tempered's really bringing to the table is that policy management piece. If you are trying to build a HIP fabric, any mesh sort of environment is like, it's just nasty because you've got to do all this configuration to stand up all the endpoints so that they can talk to one another, right? You've got that N times N plus one problem um, where it's just the more endpoints you have that might need to talk to each other, the more you've got to build. And it's unmanageable if you do it by hand. So Tempered, leveraging HIP, has software that does all of that for you. Uh, and the zero trust part comes in in that they're managing those identities of all these endpoints for you so that you know who and what is trusted out there. We pause the episode for a bit of training talk. Training with CBT Nuggets. If you're a day two cloud listener, you are, you're listening to the podcast right now, then you're probably the sort of person who likes to keep up your skills as am I. Now, here's the thing about cloud as I've dug into it over the last few years. It is the same as on-prem, but it's different. The networking is the same, but different due to all these operational constraints you don't expect. And just when you have your favorite way to set up your cloud environment, the cloud provider changes things or offers a new service that makes you rethink what you've already built. So how do you keep up? Training. 
That's an ad for training companies. What did you think I was going to say? Obviously training. And not just because sponsor CBT Nuggets wants your business, but also because training is how I've kept up with emerging technology over the decades. I believe in the power of smart instructors telling me all about the new tech so that I can walk into a conference room as a consultant or project lead and confidently position a technology to business stakeholders and financial decision makers. You want to be smarter about cloud? CBT Nuggets has a lot of offerings for you from absolute beginner material to courses covering AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud skills. Let's say you want to go narrow on a specific topic. Okay. For example, there is a two-hour course on Azure security. Maybe you want to go big. Alrighty then. There is a 42-hour AWS certified as SysOps administrator course. And there's a lot more cloud training offerings in the CBT Nuggets catalog. I just gave you a couple of examples to whet your appetite. In fact, CBT Nuggets is adding 40 hours of new content every week, and they help you master your studies with available virtual labs and accountability coaching. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up now and get to the part that you actually care about, which is the special offer of free stuff that you get from CBT Nuggets because you listen to this entire spot, you awesome human. First, visit cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. There you will find that CBT Nuggets is running a free learner offer. They've made portions of their most popular courses free. Just sign up with your Google account and start training. This free learner program is a great way to give CBT Nuggets a try. Now, as a bonus, everyone who signs up as a free learner will be automatically entered into a drawing to win a six-month premium subscription to CBT Nuggets. So this is a no-brainer to me. Just go do it. cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. And now back to the podcast that I so rudely interrupted. Is that an agent-based solution where you have to have the agent running on each host and that's how the trust is established? Or is it more like you have to have that pre-shared key or certificate infrastructure already ready to go? Oh, now you're asking me hard things. There's a <laughs> gateway piece, if I remember right. Dude, this is embarrassing. I just recorded with them like a week ago, and I'm trying to remember the full architecture. It's leaking out of my middle-aged brain. Um, <laughs> I so, so the issue here with the agent is that not all the endpoints support an agent of any kind. So I believe there's a middleman right. that can do this for you in the tempered environment. In fact, one of tempered's uh, verticals that they support really well is industrial IoT. So you can have a SCADA box up on a wall that doesn't know much about much, but it's a target. It's a high-value target because it's sitting sure. in a wastewater treatment plant or electrical production, something like that. To protect that from the internet, um, you you tempered becomes the layer in between, and so that all that's happening between these uh, endpoints are is is the hip fabric all the communications has to traverse that hip fabric uh, in mm -hmm. order for that communication to happen. A lot of those boxes, there is no agent that you're going to be loading on right. them. So I just don't remember if there's like a proxy sitting out there. It's not a proxy, I don't think. Anyway, there's... <laughs> I imagine but, for stuff like SCADA boxes, you're, that's going to go in line to sit between the SCADA and the rest of yes. the network. It's the only way that you can handle it because those boxes were never designed for security. And that has become very evident given some recent news about water treatment plants. So <laughs> let's move on to another company I, I, uh, I had a chat with was uh, Arali Networks. Arali, uh, spelled A-R-A-A-L-I, Arali Networks. Their zero trust play is accomplished on, this is a Linux, for Linux only environments. That's, that's where they live. Okay. They do hook into Kubernetes um, uh, pretty easily. 
but their whole play is to use EPPF, uh, Extended Berkeley Packet Filters. They're Effectively, they're hooking into the Linux kernel with code. That's what EPPF gives you, the ability to, to plug into the Linux kernel with code. And then watching the processes. We're not talking about packets. We're talking about processes. And they gave an example that really stuck with me where they showed, yeah, we could see that a process that was coming in to this Linux box that we were defending was running curl. And it wasn't just that they ran curl. It was that we could see the entirety of the command and they can get that granular down to a command and what the parameters are of the command, whether or not it should be allowed to run. Hmm. Because they've got that deep, deep visibility because they're hooked right into the Linux kernel there. Right. That, that's very low level. So I got to imagine they're slapping some policy engines or some abstraction on top of that because they, they can't expect consumers to be writing EBPF code to, to no, interact you don't, with it. Exactly. You don't have to write any EBPF code at all. They, they provide that for you. There's a lovely UI that sits on top and shows you in a, in a very straightforward box diagram style where there's a box on one side, a box on the other, and an arrow in between. Each box has got a bunch of metadata about the communication, the host, the IP addresses, the processes, um, what was being said. And then the arrow indicates directionality coming from one side to the other. So you can very quickly visualize what the communication is. And they build a policy based on observation. Uh, we were talking about observational policy formation before. They're doing it mm -hmm. at the Linux kernel level observing everything that's going through the kernel, coming up with a fairly detailed policy, and then you as the human go through and approve or deny all the things that are in there. Pretty, you know, it's a lot to get through on the front end, but then, uh, you know, it's much easier to maintain as you go forward. Uh, when a policy violation occurs, the Arali system using EPPF again will then get into the flow and drop packets at that point if it sees something bad happening, something that violates policy. Other than mm. that, they're actually off to the side, out of flow. So right. there's no like, it's not like all the data is getting shunted off to some other process. We got a copy from kernel to user space, do some processing, think about it for a while and then send it back to the kernel. There's none of that happening. Um, that's part of the eBPF magic is there's really minimal CPU load or performance hit that happens here. Hmm. And interestingly, that solution could definitely be deployed on cloud-based instances because it's just hooking into the Linux kernel and whatever virtual machine you're using, and it's not trying to talk some esoteric protocol between hosts. It's just looking at the processes that are happening on the, the host that you're working off of. So you could deploy this kind of anywhere. You could, and it, it solves the um, the enforcement in a pretty interesting way. But again, it is really for Linux shops. Um, right. Now, for Kubernetes, they were like, yeah, we're, we're a CNI provider. You can just add us as, a, as an additional CNI provider. Here's the YAML file. Go into mm -hmm. Cube Control and add it, and you're done. That's it. They claim it's as easy as that to stand it up and make it begin working in your Kubernetes environment. That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was, again, an interesting way to go. And the granularity was uh, crazy. In the demo, they walked through that curl example that I was talking about. They were actually highlighting how they tracked down some Russian or uh, originated hack attempt where the, um, the curl command was actually trying to retrieve something from some remote server. 
and oh. it was failing. Okay. But anyway, they could see all of that stuff happening. That was mm-hmm. that was nuts. And here's another co- company, Ned. Uh, we talked about Tempered, O'Reilly. Here's Prosimo. Prosimo Networks just came out of stealth. Uh, what Prosimo has built, it, well, it, it, there's a few things Prosimo has built, but one component of it that is tied to ZTNA, I don't want to limit Prosimo to saying this is all they do because they actually do more. But the one component that I want to talk about here that's ZTNA related, they have built an HTTP proxy fabric. So we know what a proxy is, we know what HTTP is, and what they're doing then is saying, hey, if you've got HTTP going through the network, you're going to terminate that on our proxy. We're going to do the WAF thing, kind of deeply inspect everything that's going on in there, and then we can re-encrypt it and send it on its way if everything's okay. In a Prosimo network, because there's more to the story here than just this, they can give you kind of some SD-WAN functionality. They're giving you, it's, it's again, a broader solution. But that zero trust aspect is... For one, we're assuming we're talking HTTP, which that is seems to be the vast majority of applications today. You, mm-hmm. You're dealing with a lot of that stuff. Um, their proxy is in the middle then. You need to be able to see what's inside of an encrypted session, right? You've got to crack it open somehow. If it's just encrypted flying by between client and server, there's not much you can do with it from a security perspective. You can make some inferences based on packet flows and a few other things, but you don't you don't really know too much, which is the point of encryption, right? So you, yeah, you need, yeah. the, the, their whole thing is that with the proxy model lets them actually see what's inside, deeply inspect all of the HTTP session uh, information, and then make their decisions going forward from there. And you get your zero trust that way. Okay, so I mean, they're cracking open... The, the transaction and, and seeing the data inside, which could, I mean, that could raise some red flags when it comes to data protection and privacy. So you got to make sure you really trust the inspection engine. And like, I don't know if it's storing that data long-term anywhere, but that that's like the first question I would ask is, what are you doing with that decrypted session once you've decrypted it? Is it going anywhere or is it just being re-encrypted and sent along its merry way? The model that they showed was of some box that you as the end consumer own, and it's a it's a small box. It's not some monster with a bunch of hard drives on it. The intention isn't storage. The intention mm-hmm. is real-time inspection and, and decision-making on that transaction as it goes forward, okay. not uh, make a copy of it, store it forever, and so on. Of course, there's always going to be logging and so on. And so, yes, obviously, there is going to be some use case considerations, whether or not a solution like this is viable for, again, going to data governance kind of challenges. But that that's how they're pulling it off. It's funny you bring that up, Ned, because we would have this problem, the privacy problem with anything. You got it with Raleigh as well, really. They're sitting way up that's above true. the network step. They're sitting way up above the any encryption on the wire happening. So, you know, Raleigh could have the same complaint against them. You know, in theory, tempered could as well. You know, they're seeing data before it's encrypted with uh, with HIP. Um, they're 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 in the packet flow there. So that's you know yet another question that comes up based on what are the rules surrounding the data flowing around your network. So mm-hmm. so one more um, I'll bring up here, Ned, that I'm actually trying to get scheduled for a briefing is uh, Zscaler's. Zscaler workload segmentation product. They bought a company called Edgewise, and I didn't even know this existed, but there was an article, 
or actually a short, very short uh, podcast I recorded about a Raleigh. And someone asked me in the comments, hey, how does this compare to Zscaler's acquisition of Edgewise? Dug in, the Edgewise technologies become a part of Zscaler workload segmentation. That whole pitch is about cryptographic fingerprinting. Ooh. And uh, okay. again, I haven't been briefed by Zscaler on this one yet. I'm, I'm trying to get that scheduled. I think that's going to happen. But what I gathered from looking at their website and uh, white papers and such is they're taking a bunch of information about a host and processes, running some cryptography against it, coming up with a, a fingerprint based on that cryptography. And then they have a known good or a known bad knowledge of that data flow based on the fingerprint that was computed. So, you know, the one big question that I have is how do I know it's good or bad when I compute that fingerprint? What's my authoritative source that's telling me that? Uh, I'm not clear on how all of that works yet, but they are very strong uh, putting out the idea that it's the cryptographic fingerprinting. We're taking all these things, things like the hardware host and CPU ID, plus the process, plus user information, plus a bunch of other metadata to compute the fingerprint. And then if your communications is outside of a known good fingerprint, you're determined to be a bad actor. And that's how they're protecting you and, and giving you that, that zero trust, which I thought was mathematically heavy, maybe CPU intensive, maybe, depending on how they're actually doing it, if it's all real-time packet by packet, or if it's just a one-time thing, or I don't know how they do it exactly yet. Like mm. I said, I'm missing that briefing, but... Uh, yeah, okay. But cryptography, I mean, it's it's math net. Fills, fills me with it confidence is. and nerdy <laughs> excitement. There's, there's two types of cryptographic keys, right? There's the symmetric and the asymmetric keys. Yep. Symmetric means that you use the same key to do the encryption and the decryption. And generally speaking, it's less CPU intensive. Yes. Whereas asymmetric keys, you got your private and your public, and you got to use one to decrypt the other and vice versa. So that is more computationally heavy. I bet what they're doing is they're generating asymmetric keys based off of unique traits of the host. And then using data symmetric keys for the packet by packet encryption. So it, it lowers the CPU, CPU threshold for that. And I'm, you know, there's an assumption there that there's even cryptography or even additional cryptography that's happening once the fingerprint's been computed, that there's more than just the fingerprint computation, something else happening. That's true. It could be simply signing it. It, it could be simply signing it, but it could be, like you said, that they're imputing trust by doing kind of what tempered is with host and uh, host identity protocol where there's end-to-end -end encryption uh, added on to whatever's happening which is tricky if they're doing that because it gets if you if you end up encrypting an already encrypted data stream that can be problematic and uh and slow and add overhead so I, this is zscaler i'm sure however they're doing it they've thought through all this stuff and they're doing it right for some definition of right they've thought through the trade-offs and are coming up with the best answer that's the best fit for performance alongside of security but again yet another approach for this that's kind of different from the other ones and this is just me scratching the surface on ztna man there's a recorded with palo alto networks a bit ago they have a ztna solution that is part of a larger security solution sassy secure access service edge 
ZTNA mm. is just one piece of that. How do you get into the entirety of this Palo Alto network's fabric that connects you to the cloud and on-prem and to your remote workers? Well, to gain admission to the SASE fabric, part of what we're doing is ZTNA. It's a secure access fabric after all, by golly. So uh, it's a big topic, man. It is a it is a big topic. And I feel like us talking through this in, in 30 minutes here is just... Just scratching, scratching the, surface. the surface. Yeah, uh, I got no, so much more reading and uh, and so on, reading and writing. I want to do on this topic because it's really fascinating. I do like the framework that you've put together of the various problems that ZTNA needs to solve to be an effective solution. Again, that was identity management, policy management, and enforcement and policy distribution. Those were like the four key key yeah. points. So I really like that framework, and it's a good way if somebody else is thinking about evaluating one of these products for their deployment, that's probably a good framework to go in with. Yeah, and, and and again, maybe this framework needs to be expanded a bit. It's just me trying to find the commonalities across the different solutions, and those are the four that I've spotted so far. Um, but yeah, I think there's going to be more of us talking about this issue, Ned, because it affects cloud. It affects, it affects cloud deeply and in a complicated way <laughs> here, here as we are in the, uh, the COVID world. Well, Ned, uh, I think we're done talking about zero trust for right now. So next up, Glueware. Now, if, now Ned, I, you don't know Glueware particularly well, right? I don't. I heard the word Terraform, so it piqued my interest. <laughs> yes, the, the, the Terraform may be part of the Glueware conversation we're about to have, but we're going to do a 15-minute tech bite with Glueware. Uh, Glueware is a network automation platform. They've been around for a long time. I've been talking with them about their solution since before they were Glueware when they were called actually Glue Networks, doing something else uh, a bit ago. They've built one of the, I think it's fair to say, one of the premier network automation solutions. They're vendor agnostic. And now they're in the space of doing cloud network automation as well. So imagine, Ned, that you've got the challenge of a network that you want to automate, but now that network extends into the cloud, AWS and Azure and so on. How would you automate those connections as well? It's not just some switch router firewall sitting on your network. Now it's the uh, VPC components and the various firewalls and stuff. Well, uh, Glueware has, well, this is what we're about to find out, isn't it? They've got some <laughs> some answers for us and how to automate that. So enjoy this tech bite with Glueware. Welcome to the Tech Bytes portion of our Day 2 Cloud episode today, and we are chatting with Glueware. So let's just jump right in with uh, with you, Michael. Um, for those of, in the Day 2 Cloud audience maybe don't know who you are, give us the, the, the tight elevator pitch of who Glueware is. Sure. Great to be on the channel. First time uh, on this channel, but longtime packet pusher uh, veterans here. Glueware is an intent-based network automation platform. So we bring a powerful layer of, layer of intelligence to automate and orchestrate multi-vendor, multi-domain, and now multi-cloud, which we'll get into. So for some of the largest enterprises out there in the pharma and finance, and uh, we are a code-free and very scalable platform. Okay, a lot of buzzwords that we're going to yeah. dig into there. And, uh, and as you said, Glueware has been a packet pusher sponsor for a long time. In fact, I was digging back through the archives. I find you as early as 2016 that you've been sponsoring shows and doing work with us. And if you're listening and you want to know more about Glueware, again, go dig through our archives, find those shows. You can do a search at packetpushers.net for Glueware, G-L-U-W-A-R-E, and then go to our YouTube channel. We have an event we did with Glueware back in 2019, the Glueware event series as a playlist there. You can watch a bunch of info there. Well, Michael, now that everyone knows all about Glueware, uh, give us what's new. Yeah, I think what why people would care on this channel is the net new of Glueware 
Just uh, recently, we announced our support for automating through API. And the focus of that has been we've onboarded Cisco's SD-WAN, so that's automating vManage and, and SD-WAN technology. We've also automated Cisco's Meraki. So in both those cases, we automate through the controller and enable that. And, and we add you know, an abstraction and intelligence to really simplify the user experience. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how SD-WAN ties into cloud. I think a lot of folks are seeing SD-WAN as a site to cloud type of technology. The, the second piece uh, we announced in December with our Glueware 4.0 release, and that's the fact that we onboarded the Terraform engine as an underlying vendor adapter component. And along with the Terraform uh, technology, we've onboarded three of the providers for the public cloud, so AWS, Google Cloud, and, and Azure. And this gives us the ability to automate the public clouds, which obviously is a, a hot topic these days. You know, my ears just pricked up because you said Terraform, right, Michael? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But before I talk about that, I want to do a quick level set and comparison because I know there's some other solutions out there that do like cloud networking as a service or they do like a big overlay network across all your clouds. Is that kind of what Glueware is doing or is are, are you doing something else that's different from those types of services? Yeah, Ned, I think that's a really important distinction because as you mentioned, the, the cloud network as a service and the overlay networking, the kind of these technologies, there there's a lot, there's some similarities in the fact that they are automating a component and they're they're automating a, a piece of the network. But in both the cases of that cloud network as a service or an overlay, those technologies are usually inserting uh, a virtual router or a gateway and providing some sort of transit capabilities as well. And really kind of abstracting away and just integrating a little bit, well, from a networking standpoint with the native cloud components. That's different what we're doing. What Glueware is doing is through Terraform, we are automating the native cloud components. So mm. you can think about what AWS delivers natively, so Transit Gateway and, and other components. So we're, we're automating the spin up or the instantiation of the, the environment in the cloud and the networking associated with it. We're not inserting any proprietary or virtual routing, and we're not providing the transit. We're automating the native cloud constructs. And for the customers we're working with, that's what they want. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. You're, you're not abstracting all that stuff away, but you're providing common tooling across clouds to consume those native services. And it sounds like Terraform's the tool to do that. So can, can you tell me a little more about how Glueware is leveraging Terraform and complementing what Terraform can do? Yeah, I'll just add one piece to that. And then I'd like to invite Olivier, our chief science officer and co-founder into the conversation in that you're exactly right. We're instantiating, leveraging Terraform for the, for the let's call it the heavy lifting of what it's able to do with abstracting on top of the API calls of the native clouds. So Terraform is very good at that infrastructure as code. And so we leverage that, we build on top of that. We're able to make native cloud API calls as well. And we're actually even able to automate third-party VNFs that are inserted into your VPC. So like a, like a Cisco CSR1000V or an F5 or a Palo Alto. But I, I'd like to invite Olivier into the conversation and he can talk a bit about why we chose Terraform, how we complement Terraform and how it uh, provides advantages to our, our end users. Olivier? Yeah, thank you, Mike. Um, th this is undeniable, the, the value that uh, Terraform brings, especially for you know, managing cloud infrastructure. But when you're choosing Terraform CLI, you know, the open source version, the free version of Terraform, literally they give you the bare metal, you know, command line utility and, and, and that's it. So your tool, 
the tools that you need to use that. It's literally Notepad++, you know, text edit or VI. I mean, this is, and you're on your own. So what Blueware brings to, to you is the infrastructure around, around Terraform. Uh, Terraform, using Terraform means having to deal with hundreds of files and directories, I mean, TF files, state files, you know, even more files and directories if you're using modules. So our customers are using Blueware config modeling, can use Blueware to abstract their network configs. They already do this for all the vendors that we support. And they can do now the same with uh, Terraform configuration files. And you can you know, make those different blocks of um, Terraform files like more reusable. Let's say you want to share the same block across you know, different files that you want to make these blocks dynamic. Let's say you want to make REST calls in order to go fetch some IP addresses into an IPAM system. You want to, you know, Glueware to go fetch these IPs or you want to make REST calls to Glueware so that it gets, you know, automatically into those, these uh, TF files. So this is, this is what we do. The, you know, the approach that we try to, to offer is like an architect can create a library of reference designs of Terraform's reference design. The design could be, for instance, a, a model for a standard pod in AWS made of uh, VPCs, TGW, VPN gateways, internet gateway, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then model could be handled to operations, you know, as opposed to just give, giving them a, a big, you know, zip file and with a, uh, oh, use that to deploy the pods, right? Uh, so learning Glueware, you know, um, you know, that modeling, that templating is the same for all vendors that we support. So now you can apply that to, to Terraform. And this one thing I'd like to add is that we're talking clouds here because, you know, Terraform has providers, uh, you know, for cloud providers. Well, Terraform has also providers like v VMware vSphere or NSXT, right? So we can extend those you know, uh, we can extend the exposure to those additional providers within Glueware config modeling. Like right? it doesn't have to be just for um, for 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 cloud. Right. And I know they also have some providers for stuff like F5, uh, some of the Cisco gear. So are those also supported? Or are you in the process of adding more provider support as as it goes forward? So when it comes to specifically the example you're talking about, Cisco and F5, uh, natively we can do more than what the Terraform providers can ah, do. Okay. Right? So yeah. it really depends. Sometimes, um, you know, for instance, we have uh, our engineering team using the Docker provider for Terraform because, I mean, you can really do what, whatever you want to do with, with the Terraform provider. Um, the vSphere and the NSXT um, providers are very, very complete as well. So it really depends. Um, I mean, it's, it's, we, we, we spend some time looking at the value of adopting a particular provider. And if this is, um, if it's rich and it's uh, most importantly maintained as well, right? Because there's, there are also a lot of community providers and some are just attempts, not necessarily, you know, um, something you would want to use in production. Then yes, we spend the time in looking at those providers and, and, and see if, if they are you know, worth integrating. So Olivier, with this capability, what do your customers, I know you have a lot of large enterprise customers in the folder, but what are they asking you for when it comes to the cloud network configurations? I mean, we have requests coming from, you know, all verticals, 
Uh, one example would be, like you said, you're saying, uh, I like this example for a, a large enterprise customer. They, they literally like to deploy their applications in, in standardized uh, pods, you know, with specific requirements. And, you know, each application have their set of requirements and they'd like to deploy those pods, you know, either on, you know, AWS, on Azure, you know, depending on the application. And they want to ensure that when they're deploying, uh, they're using, you know, the correct rounding policy, the correct security rules, you know, they stick with compliance with their BGP redistribution, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the first thing. It's about, you know, checking all the, all the checkboxes. Is that configuration that you're describing, is it uh, like AWS, Azure, GCP, they don't have all the same networking capabilities. So is it you come up with a model that looks as same, same as it can across the multi-cloud or is it kind of unique per provider? That's the ultimate dream for customers is, is that we've heard that multiple times that usually they start with AWS. They create this very complex design. And then when they move to another provider, they offer different sets of, of, of capabilities. And so they have to redesign. So um, some are lowering the specs of the pods so that they alike across you know, cloud providers. Or some just have different pods. They have one standard design for this particular cloud provider and another type of design for this other provider. And they've just put their application depending of on, on, on what the, the pod can do. So now in addition to multi-cloud, there's also the issue of connecting your existing sites to the cloud. I know that's also a challenge. How are enterprises looking to solve that particular challenge and, and how are you assisting with that? Yeah, Ned, I'll, I'll jump in here, Mike here. Um, this has been an evolution. And I, I'd say back in like the 26 time, 2016 timeline, when they were really just dabbling with the cloud, they were content with to go with like maybe a VPN into the cloud. And then as, as more, let's say, applications moved to the cloud and we had certain examples of customers having, you know, getting hit by ransomware and other things really, ex, you know, accelerating the move to the cloud, we they were going to direct connect. and they're pretty content kind of backhauling everything to a, one or two data centers and then using that direct connect up to the cloud. And that role, Glueware is automating the network, the traditional on-prem network, getting QoS right and backhauling that traffic, getting it to the cloud. What we're seeing right now is a pretty significant move. I think, you know, driven by the pandemic and other things, people have really accelerated what they've deployed to the clouds and moving workloads to the cloud. And now it's more about optimizing site to cloud. We're hearing this kind of buzz of site to cloud and leveraging more, more intelligent mechanisms to move traffic directly. So using SD-WAN is one of the ones that comes up a lot, as well as in, in the AWS environment, leveraging the transit gateway and in, in introducing networking that they're you know either connecting SD-WAN directly to the transit gateway. So I'd say in short, what we're seeing is the benefit of Glueware is they can automate their on-prem network, including now the like Cisco SD-WAN, and automate the networking in the cloud and kind of unify that policy. But the, I think the key to it here is what we're hearing is it's a migration and it's slow and it's eventual. And we're helping customers move from, you know, legacy Cisco uh, DMVPN networks, and we're trying to move them towards more advanced, you know, more modern SD-WAN technologies as well. Well, Mike, one of the things you didn't say was multi-cloud or cloud-to-cloud connectivity. It seems focused on more on-prem and site-based connectivity into the cloud. Ethan, right now what we're seeing, you know, when we really look at the customer use case is 
applications reside in a single cloud and they need VPC to VPC type networking. But rarely, we haven't once yet seen like where the front end is in one cloud and the back end's in another. Right. So that the, we, that we're hearing the requirement for multi-cloud and they want, like Livia was saying, they want to do a similar design to host applications in different clouds. But we're, we're so far not really seeing the cloud to cloud requirement. And I think, uh, you know, we were talking about a little bit in the intro around where those overlay networking technologies come in and really stitch together cloud to cloud that may become more of a requirement, but for now we're seeing really automating the network from on-prem and, and SD-WAN or like the branch sites to mm -hmm. cloud is the most important mm -hmm. component we're working on. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like there's so much more to dig into here. So can you give uh, the folks who are listening uh, a few links or, or some places to go so they can get more information and so I can get more information? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Glueware.com, sorry, Glueware.com. And uh, we even have a dedicated portal for, for our Packet Pusher episodes. And uh, you can go to Glueware.com slash Packet dash Pushers. From our Glueware site, you can request a demo, you can request a test drive, and we even have a dedicated portal to our multi-cloud site. So from there, you can even request free Glueware. We'll spin it up in AWS and you can begin to automate your on-prem network you know, right away for free. Thank you to Glueware for this sponsored Tech Byte. If you want to follow them on Twitter, it's at Glueware Inc. And you can also find them on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you to our guests, Glueware, for appearing on this sponsored Tech Byte on Day 2 Cloud. And hey, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you've got suggestions for future shows, you know what? We want to hear them. You can hit us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow. And hey, if you haven't heard enough of my mellifluous voice, you can catch me every day on my daily check-in podcast. We'll include a link in the show notes, but you can also find it on Anchor. Just search for the daily check-in with Ned1313. You'll find it there. That'll do it for us today. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. <laughs>